So if you'd like to turn, please, to Isaiah and chapter 57. If you'd like a Bible, put your hand up and one will be passed to you. It's on the screen behind us as well. As you find that passage in the Bible, we've been looking at the servant songs. Isaiah, the book of Isaiah is seven, eight hundred years before the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, from chapter 40 onwards through to chapter 61, there is a tone and a description of someone who would come, a king who would come, but his kingly power would be hidden. There wouldn't be anything appealing about him. We read that in Isaiah chapter 53. And as we get to the end of these songs, we we come to an interesting passage in Isaiah chapter 57 that we're going to look at this morning. We're going to read from the first part of that chapter and then towards the end. But Isaiah chapter 57 and beginning in verse 1. The righteous perish and no one ponders it in his heart. Devout men are taken away and no one understands that the righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. Those who walk uprightly enter into peace. They find rest as they lie in death. And then down to verse 13, sentence 13. When you cry out for help, let your collection of idols save you. The wind will carry all of them off. A mere breath will blow them away. But whoever takes refuge in me will inherit the land and possess my holy mountain. And it will be said, build up, build up, prepare the road. Remove the obstacles out of the way of my people. For this is what the high and exalted one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. I will not accuse them forever, nor will I always be angry, for then they would faint away because of me, the very people I have created. I was enraged by their sinful greed. I punished them, and I hid my face in anger, yet they kept on in their willful ways. I've seen their ways, but I will heal them, I will guide them and restore comfort to Israel's mourners, creating praise on their lips. Peace, peace to those far and near, says the Lord, and I will heal them. But the wicked are like the tossing sea which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Please have that passage on your lap. Because, as we come to the end of our series, we're coming to a passage in Isaiah 57 that is a passage of, it's a passage of stark realism. When we come to a Good Friday and then to Easter Sunday, there is a tension that we need to keep together of a, a sobriety and a solemnity on Good Friday that's completely appropriate when we understand it, and then joy and happiness and hope and life because of Good Friday there is joy on Easter Sunday. And this passage really puts those two things together. It might not seem like it on first reading, but I hope it will as we go through it. 
because one of the things we've seen as we've journeyed through the uh, the psalms of or the songs of ascent is this tension between hope now but also the reality of struggle and suffering the longing for justice that we may not experience now but when the king comes again when he returns there will be real joy in the kingdom that will come real justice justice flowing like rivers Comfort will come to God's people, not just the Israelites, but to a new people, Jew and Gentile alike. We've seen all of those things. And this passage is helpful for a day like today because it sees the, the reality that we all experience in a, in a Good Friday kind of world. When there are tears, when there is wrongdoing, where there is hardship, where there is suffering, where there is the reality of misunderstanding, but more importantly, there's the reality of death that no one can escape, the great leveller, the great equaliser. In this passage, rather than just stating the reality, the darkness of life, the struggles and difficulties of life, it's also full of hope. There's, a, there's the means, the resources by which we can live in a sin-stained world of difficulty and suffering. It puts together the hardship of Good Friday with the joy of Easter Sunday. And here are the resources, there are three the resources that we need to get through life if we know Jesus Christ. But they're only appropriate to look at after we've seen the reality that we all face. It's the first thing. The reality of life that we face. Look at verse 1 with me. Here's a, a reality check. The righteous, that means the people who are right with God. The righteous perish. And then look at the end of that sentence. Devout men are taken away. Here is a sentence that describes something very difficult for Christians and non-Christians to understand. It's talking about someone who knows God, someone that God is pleased with, someone who knows the living God personally, and yet in the middle of their life, they're taken away. In the middle of their life, they die. This is not someone who dies as a result of natural causes of old age. This is someone, this is someone who knows God personally, and yet God in his wisdom calls him home. You see, the people who know God, Christians, are not immune to tragedy. They're not immune to suffering. I was thinking uh, this week of John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, there's the famous account of Jesus receiving a, a news feed. His, uh, his Twitter account would buzz in the modern world. He receives a message that someone, Lazarus, who he loves dearly, is very, very poorly, he's very sick. It says in uh, John chapter 11, verse 5, Jesus, Lazarus is sick. He's dying. And Jesus says, I know, but I'm going to stay. I know, but I'm going to stay. The one whom I love is going to die, but I'm going to stay, to paraphrase. Sometimes in this profound sentence that makes us wonder what Jesus is doing, when we cry out to God, he answers by not answering our prayers in the way we would want. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he's glorified in healing someone, in rescuing someone from great difficulty. But here in the story of Lazarus, and in verse 1 of this chapter, there is a profound truth that sometimes it glorifies God not to come but to stay. Not to heal but to call someone who is righteous home. When someone thinks profound like this happens, this sentence says that we should do something we find very difficult, and that is to ponder. Do you notice that word? 
says here in verse 1, when a good person is cut off when they suddenly die, don't realize, don't you realize that God is at work in a profound way that you need to think about. Don't presume that uh, something evil has happened. Ponder, think profoundly that God may be at work in a unique way. You need to stop thinking about suffering in a linear way, the Bible says. Don't think that if you're a Christian, that means religious insurance. It means that you're immune like a force field to bad things happening to you. It doesn't work like that. The Bible has a profounder, deeper, richer, multifaceted understanding of suffering. Just look at Good Friday. When an innocent man is hanging on a cross outside Jerusalem, it looks like God has left the scene. But there is something profound happening on a cross outside of city walls in Jerusalem. But when suffering happens, when a righteous person is cut off in the prime of life, when someone is dying outside of the city walls of Jerusalem, how do you understand it? That's really what this passage is talking about. You should ponder. You should ponder. You should think deeply. And in three ways. This is how we face suffering in our world. And this is how we have to try and understand the death of a righteous man outside the city walls of Jerusalem. Here's the first thing you need to do. Number one of point two, you need to look down. You need to look down. Look at sentence 15 from Isaiah chapter 57. For this is what the high and the lofty one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and a holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Even though I live in a high and a holy place, says God, the Holy One of all Israel, of the whole world, the Creator God, the unique God, the majestic, all-powerful God, I dwell, I live with, a certain type of person. You notice verse 15 describes it with two words. I live, I dwell with someone who is contrite. The word here is crushed. Contrite is not very helpful. I live with the, the, the crushed people. I live with the downtrodden. I dwell and come and commune with them in a very special way. That's the first description of this person that God comes and dwells with. The second word from verse 15 is lowly. I come and dwell with people who don't push themselves forward, who don't promote themselves to the front of the queue. I dwell with people who are crushed and lowly. When you're suffering, these two ingredients of character don't always go together, do they? Sometimes when people struggle, sometimes when they're facing great hardship, sometimes when they lose a loved one, they become very introspective, they become self-centered. They become very self-righteous. These words lowly, crushed, and contrite don't always go together in someone's spirit when they're going through hard times. But God says in his word that there is an opportunity when you suffer to understand how your heart works. There is an understanding that comes in the dark times of suffering that you will not experience or know in any other time of your life. There is an opportunity to self-understand when all your resources are stripped away, that you can understand your heart at that time in the storm that you cannot understand it in the sunshine. 
sometimes you can see when your self-confidence is stripped away, when your self-reliance is stripped away, when all your hopes have been damaged and stripped away, that Jesus is all you have. There's nowhere else to turn to. Self-resources have run dry. Self-reliance won't help. And at that point, you see that Jesus is all you have. And at that point, there's an opportunity by God's grace to see at that time, actually, he's all you need. That's the first thing you need to do when you face suffering in this life, in the Good Friday world, before Easter Sunday. You need to look down and humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Here's the second thing. You need to look in. Look down. You need to look in. Look at sentence 13. When you cry out for help, let your collection of idols, so to speak, save you. Let your collection of idols save you. Here's Isaiah speaking to Israel that should be worshipping God wholeheartedly. And yet the Bible says from beginning to end, all of us serve someone. All of us worship someone or something. Everybody's finding their meaning and value from something or someone. And suffering has a unique opportunity and a unique power to expose the inner workings of our hearts, to show us the true God that we worship, to show us the weaknesses of those idols that we have. Because only the God of the Bible, the cross shows us, only the God of the Bible will go through you, through, or rather with you, through suffering to the other side. The cross shows us that. Good Friday shows us that. He'll never abandon you in the storms of life. He will always be with you through thick and thin. Here are some examples to prove my point. Many of us would have heard of Johnny Erickson Tata. If you read her books, you know she was an 18-year-old who, who dove into some water and tragically was, uh, her spinal cord was damaged. She became a quadriplegic. If you read her books before that incident, that accident happened, you'll recognize that like any other young girl, she had aspirations of a career. She longed to be in a loving relationship with a guy. She longed to be athletic. She longed to ride horses. She had all these aspirations of life that are normal and appropriate. She was a Christian, but her relationship with God was not that rooted. It wasn't that rich. It wasn't that focused. It wasn't that devotional. It wasn't that personal. But then she writes afterwards... She realized and came to a knowledge of God that she had in a more real and a personal way through suffering that was never evident in her life beforehand. She lived for guys, she said. She lived for athletic ability. She lived for the possibility of climbing the career ladder. But when she says, I live for those things, I came to realize that they could not join me in the wheelchair. They could not help me in the suffering. But she says, friends, if you live for God, if you know him personally, he's the only God who has wounds, and he's the only God who will never leave you. That's just an example from injury. He's a God who stays with you through anything. And Isaiah is saying, Israel, you who worship something or someone else, you who follow and adore someone else other than the God of the Bible, can they help you in the wheelchair? Can they help you in the injury? Think of surgery. If ever you go into surgery, I've been in only to have my nose cauterized. It's the only nose job I'll ever have. I went in as a teenager because I had these terrible nosebleeds. And my mum was there and the challenge as she left me was to count 
the number of uh, balloons that there were on the ceiling in the children's ward before the anaesthetic took its uh, tremendous and overwhelming effect upon me. Friends, if you've gone into any sort of surgery, it's wonderful to have the support, isn't it, of loved ones. But there is a point, there's a line in a hospital, a red line on the floor, that says no one can come any further. Whether it be injury, whether it be surgery, the God of the Bible is the only person who can come with you in the midst of suffering. What about grief? When someone dies, when you lose a loved one. The cross shows us, Good Friday shows us, God is not immune, he's not afraid of suffering. He went to the uttermost for us. And he's the only one who can be with you in injury, in grief, in suffering. Where are the gods you've made, O Israel, in the wheelchair, in the waiting room? Where are the gods you've made? Good Friday reminds us that Jesus has wounds, friends, and he'll be with us and he'll never desert us. Look down, look inside. Thirdly, look ahead. Look ahead. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. The righteous perish, and no one ponders in it his heart. Devout men are taken away. No one understands that the righteous are taken away. To be spared from evil. Those who walk uprightly enter into peace. They find rest as they lie in death. These are hard words. God is saying, no matter what is happening in your life, look ahead. Look ahead. Sudden death. Tragic death. Ultimately, What does those verses say and mean? If you're in a right relationship with God, with me, he's saying, if something terrible happens, it's always because I'm trying to spare you, I will spare you from something ultimately worse that would have happened to you. Even if God lets some tragedy from our eyes happen to us, it's only because we were about to experience something worse. It's a very hard sentence to get a hold on to. But then he goes further, verse 2. Besides that, if you're right with me, if you're in a right relationship with me, and if I have you by the hand, then even death, when it comes upon you, will bring you into rest. When you look at these sentences, boys and girls at the back table, listen to me now. Do you remember the story I told you at the Easter party? When you look at this, this passage from the New Testament, you call to remember the story that I told you last week. Do you remember it? Of Jesus going into a room where there was a little girl who was not just poorly, she had died. And he says some very precious words to them. He says to this little girl, Talitha Kum, little girl, wake up. You see, sleep, sleep is the equivalent of death, boys and girls, to Jesus. He has such power, he even has power to reach down into death and bring this little girl back to life. It's time to get up. He speaks to her powerfully, but with amazing tenderness. And that's the sentence, that's the story that helps us to understand what's happening here. When God leads us into tragedy, when God sometimes takes his righteous people home, when we can't understand it, we need to understand from that story that that death Death of Jesus is just like sleep. He has power and authority to to wake up a little girl and it's just, if he holds us by the hand in death, he will bring us back to life. It's the remarkable hope of the resurrection. 
All bad things that can happen to us. What's the worst thing that can happen to us? Is it death? Death to Jesus is just like sleep. He has that much power and authority and he's got us by the hand. And when you know that, when you look down and in and up and forward, you can face anything because God is with us. You can face the future. You can face suffering when you know these things. It's, it's the resources, it's the framework, it's the grid for looking at a Good Friday kind of world where their pain is real. But how can you be sure you can do it? Because my grip is pretty weak if God has got us by the hand as we go and face the world together as Christians. How can we be assured that we can do it? Let's think thirdly, finally, about the future. How can we be utterly sure that Jesus has got us by the hands? Look at sentence 16 with me. It says some amazing truths. How will God treat us? where our grip is so weak. He says, verse 16 to 18, I will not always be angry. I was enraged by his sinful greed. I punished him. Yet he kept on in his willful ways. I've seen his ways, but I will heal him. How is that possible? We've seen this all the way through this little series, that the righteousness of God the love of God, and yet the reality of our own hearts, that we rebel, we are people that want to shove God off his throne and we want to be in charge. And how will these two things be reconciled? How is God going to deal with our own hearts? How is, is, he, how is he going to keep hold of us through all the challenging things that we're going to face? It says with this little word, verse 15, Verse 15, this mistranslated little word, contrite, this, this word of crush. God is close to those that are crushed. I'm near to the crushed in spirit. Remember that? I'm near to the crushed in spirit. I'm near to the, someone who is lowly, who's humble. I'm near to someone who is contrite or crushed. The same word that we saw just a few weeks ago in Isaiah chapter 53, where it describes the servant. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed. For our iniquity. It's the same word. How can God come close to us? How can God keep us? How can God lead us through suffering and ultimately death itself? Because he was abandoned. Good Friday reminds us of that. So that now when we're crushed, the crushed of heart, God can stay with us because he was crushed. Because all the righteous anger of God fell on him for our sin. It fell onto his heart, so to speak. He took the punishment that we deserve. That's what the table points us to. He has every right to be angry with us, doesn't he? Because of our sin and rebellion. But this sentence says he won't stay angry at us. He will heal us. Now how is that possible? <laughs> on today of all days we remember that Jesus, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is also the rock of God, who is struck with the justice of God. Think of that. Jesus is also the ransom of God, who rescues a people for the glory of his Father. And if you know that, if you know that Jesus was crushed for us, if you know that Jesus took the justice of God for that, that's the why. That's the answer to why God can lay his hand upon us and never let us go. Even though we fall away, even though we rebel, even though 
even though we don't love him as we should, because of the cross. Because on the cross of Christ, Christians hold dearly to the truth that Jesus was crushed. He lost everything. His father let go of his hand at that time for the first time in all eternity and the only time. He lost the face of his father. He lost everything. And he did it so that now he can never let us go. Rebels like us who he can love with his full heart. You know that story of Lazarus in John chapter 11? Jesus stays. It's very profound and very confusing on first reading. But then Jesus goes. And he goes to the tomb that holds the body of Lazarus. And he raises him from the dead with a word of authority and power. A little girl raised from the dead. Lazarus, the one whom Jesus loved, raised from the dead. Calls him out by name. And if he didn't, everyone would come out of their graves. He raises this man from the grave. And then what happens at the end of the story? In verse 53 of John chapter 11, the religious leaders get together. They have a conference. And they say, he raised this man from the dead. He's way too dangerous. We need to get him off the picture. We need to eradicate him. We need to kill him. They conspire against him. And I was thinking this week, don't you think Jesus knew that when he spoke to Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come out? Don't you think that by uttering those words, Jesus knew in John's gospel that he's signing his death warrant, so to speak? Don't you think Jesus knew that the only way to save Lazarus, to raise him up, was to put himself in the grave? Don't you think Jesus knew that? Jesus knew that. And yet he was willing to do it. The only way for me, said Jesus, to raise Lazarus is if I bury myself. He was willing to do that for Lazarus. But the wonderful truth of Good Friday is he was willing to do that for me. And he was willing to do that for you too. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that this passage shows us that the God of Israel, the God of the church, the God of Jew and Gentile, the God of the whole world on the cross was crucified. Jesus died in our place and for our sake. He is our substitute. He's the Lamb of God. He receives your justice. He is our ransom. He's died for us. Father, as we spend time pondering this remarkable truth of the Bible, please help us to meditate on that and help us to remember from this passage that you hold our hand and you've promised to never let us go. Amen.